This is what the Lord says. Curse is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and those whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person should be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in the salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The Lord searches the heart and examines the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Beautiful words we just sung. I want to remind you uh, from Be Still My Soul. Be still my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross and grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and to provide. In every change, God faithful will remain. And these words mean a lot to me. I don't know if you've heard the 830 service. I had trouble finishing it at the end. Uh, my mom's situation is still challenging for us, and we've just had discussions of palliative care and moving out of rehab into assisted living, and so some hard decisions and some comfort care for my mom, and I appreciate the prayers. It's just been a hard week, and as one person told me, uh, I'm preaching to myself this morning about seeking more trust in God, so let us pray. Lord God, I pray that you might bless the words not only to be a comfort to my soul, but to encourage every person in this room as you know the need. Speak through me, come Holy Spirit, and bless us as we reflect upon your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 32 years of full-time ministry, something I've observed through my, mainly through my covenant groups of all the special relationships I've had with men through the years and relationship of accountability is that all of us, as we go through different seasons in life, all wrestle with this idea of will we be trusting God with what comes our way? And certainly, as I would say, that this is one of the hardest seasons that I've been in, and I'm seeking to trust God. The longer I live, the more I discover, as you have and so many of you have encouraged me along the way, that we are not in control as much as we think we are. And so we make the best decisions we can, and Gene and I are very deliberate people. We make our plans and we work our plans. But some things you just can't plan. You just have to go with the flow and see how things turn out. But the one thing that is for sure is that God is always faithful. And that God is always with us. And that no matter what will come, he will provide. And so I claim that promise for you and for me. As we reflect upon Jeremiah's words, as he strives to encourage the people of Judah who have failed God. They have been disobedient. As you were to look up and to see the first few verses of what I didn't read from chapter 17, you would see the words of Asherah Poles, maybe even of worship of other gods. As 
the northern kingdom of Israel had failed and had been taken off into captivity and Judah was hanging on by a thread. The prophet, the weeping prophet, Jeremiah comes along to say, judgment is coming. And the testimony of your evilness and the pursuit and the trust in other gods that you have placed is found in your fields as you find Asherah poles and temples to Baal. You have hedged your bets and you have broken the first commandment that thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so Jeremiah brings a message and he brings it in a context to remind that there are Blessings of God and there are curses of God. And we would say, maybe in today's language, there are the advantages of following God and living with God. And then there are the consequences of a life that says, I'll just do it on my own. Thank you very much. I'll handle this with my own strength. I don't need the Lord. And there's a lot of wake of people's lives who have been disillusioned and broken and saddened by the consequences of sin and poor decisions. Because they've not chosen God's path, but they have chosen the path of their own strength and their own power. So God in this context, if we were to go all the way back to the giving of the Ten Commandments from the book of Deuteronomy, the language of Jeremiah would be very evident there. And I will turn to Jeremiah, to Deuteronomy now 11, uh, verses 26, and you will hear that right after the giving of the Ten Commandments, these are the words that are spoken. I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing is if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, I'm giving you today. The curse is if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from what I command you today and you follow other gods which you have known. Then the Lord your God, when he has brought you to this land and you are entering to possess, are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and Mount Ebal the curses. But basically, they got it up front, and we should as well, lest we think we're so smart and we figured it out by ourselves. We need the Lord. We need the Lord to speak wisdom to our lives and our culture. We need to listen to his voice rather than think that we know better ourselves. There is a pathway of blessings and there is a pathway of cursing or consequences. And this is a system that God set up in the Old Testament. But we're going to get to some good news about a disruption of the system with Jesus Christ. But let me first set the case for this system of blessing and cursing that was a part of the Old Testament. It was for the good of Israel. Right after the words were spoken from the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Come the words. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive. So what I want to do, friends, is talk about the case of this blessing and cursing and its history. But I want to put it in the context that would be very familiar to us, which would be family life. I'm looking out at you. I know many of you have been parents or are parents. Many of you uh, know what it's like to raise children or have grandchildren, and you always want the best for them. And so we find here the giving of the law is not so that God could punish us, not so that God could find us guilty and want to condemn us. The giving of the law is because the laws were good for us. 
And that is why God gave them. He knew that if we would follow them, we would have, as it says here, be prosperous and be kept alive. Just like a parent will give instruction to a child, this is what you should do in this situation. If you do this, you'll find there are more difficult consequences, right? You want what's best for the child. The second is this, a reward for obedience. Those of you who are school teachers in this room understand this theory of education called reinforcement theory. And when you have a behavior that is good, you want to reinforce it with positive, right? And if it's negative, you will do the opposite. You will try to correct it. But rewarding for obedience starts in Genesis 2 when God places Adam and Eve into the garden. He says, you are free to eat whatever you wish. And then we'll get to what he says, one, one stipulation I share with you not to touch. But he wants to bless them. He wants them to be fruitful. He wants them to multiply. He wants them to enjoy the pleasure of his presence. And then we find in Psalm 1, a blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water streams. Where do you think Jeremiah may have gotten that message from? Probably from reading the Psalms. And then Jesus would come along in John 15, 10, when he shares about abide in me and I will be abiding in you. He talks about this, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as, hear this, as I remain in my Father's love. That love is intertwined and weaves in and out of these commands for the good of a person. And in Revelation 22, 12, we find, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, there seems to be a God who wishes to reinforce positively good decisions done in his name. And then there is the rightful judgment for disobedience. As I alluded to just a moment ago about in the Garden of Eden, when God would say, but there is one tree that you shall not eat of. And if you eat of it, you will surely die. There will be consequences. And that is the introduction right after that. After the sin, we will find the word curse enters into the Bible. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But a judgment comes when they must leave the garden. In Deuteronomy 28, what I've made reference to, we have these blessings and cursings. And even Jesus in the very last teaching in Matthew's gospel, before we get into the passion narrative of the last weeks of his life, we get into this parable of the sheep and the goats. The last instruction Matthew includes where there is a punishment for those who do not do the works of the Father and there is blessing and eternal rest for the ones who do. Rightful judgment, good and bad, Good pathways and negative pathways. And what are we seeing here? We're seeing that Jeremiah is calling them to repent. Though, though the armies are coming and though Judah will fall, the prophet is declaring it's never too late to turn your heart and get right with God. The northern kingdom did fall and Judah did fall. And the, and, uh, the Babylonians took them off. And friends, it was because they had neglected the laws and the teachings of the Lord. So he comes to say to us today, 
Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. This is not the path that God intends for us. For us to trust solely in our own humanity, our own wisdom, and the wisdom of our culture. We are not to draw strength from, and look at that little word, mere, M-E-R-E, M-E-R-E, who draws strength from our own flesh. Mere simply means nothing more than. The person who says, I can do this by myself, I don't need the Lord's help, thank you very much, or God, I'll call you if I need you, is going to be disappointed. That is not the life that God blesses. And so we find the introduction, as I said, of the word curse in the Bible. It comes after the introduction of sin by Adam and Eve. And it means with the word curse comes the cursing of the ground and the toil and the hardship and the difficulty that enters into a life that chooses to disobey and do what is not of God. Jeremiah gives us another picture. He says it's like a land a barren land, a desert land, where a struggling shrub strives to survive, but has no water, and has no pollination from birds, and no, it has just this hot sun and very little rain. And those of you who have been to the Holy Land see the difference between the northern part of Israel and the Sea of Galilee and the luscious crops and the green fields, and then the harshness and the bleakness of southern Israel where you have the Dead Sea, as he mentions that salty place where barren is life. I want to share a few stories about some individuals here this morning, but before I do, I want to remind you that there's this consistent message, as I've laid out for you in the Bible about a path for God, a path which God desires for us, a path that brings blessing and prosperity, and a path that can lead to consequences and destruction. But the good news is we don't have to worry about the curse when we mess up our lives. The good news is that Jesus Christ has interrupted. There is not, we are not under the Old Testament, we are under the New Testament of grace which brings Jesus into the picture as Paul writes in Galatians 3, 13 and 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse by the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that we might have the blessing given to Abraham that we might come to, that came to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So here's the good news. Christ has disrupted the curse that we deserve because of our wrongdoing. Praise God for that great news. We still know there are consequences to, to this fallen world and the sinful actions that sometimes we slip up and do. But we must be mindful that doing good and following Christ and Christ's righteousness in us is what brings the goodness forth. Friends, you are not good on your own. You are not good on your own, but by the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in you. That's what the Word of God now says for us. So I'm going to tell you the story of a man named Inigo. Inigo was born in the 1400s in Spain. He was not wealthy, but he served in the court of the King Ferdinand. He's described as a romantic. He had an active imagination. He fought in pubs and he tried to win over women with his bravery and his risky actions. 
He was striving to be, as we would know in our culture in some alcohol, alcohol commercials, he was striving to be the most interesting man in the world. Romanticism drove him to the Spanish army where he in 1517 was wounded in a battle with the French. His leg was shattered and he went through a very long recovery. He longed to return and to serve the king. He longed to go back to all that he once knew and the lifestyle that he had, but it had vanished as quickly as it had come. He had lost his identity. He had lost his purpose and he had found himself in a better desert with no living water. People pursue the things of this world, whether they are short-term happiness and then adversity should come, they're not prepared. And the heat and the struggle of the desert life takes them down because they're not planted near streams of water and they know not God. There's a second man, a man named Martin Luther. He was a very religious man. He started the Lutheran church, and we'll get back to that. But as a very religious man, as a Catholic, he was a priest. He gave, when he gave his first mass offering, he was so overcome with the liturgy and the fact that he was speaking to the Almighty God that he wrote in his journal, I am dust, I am but ashes, I am full of sin, and I'm speaking to the living, eternal, true God. And because of that awareness, he went to the monastery where he would spend hours in confession of sin. He fasted. He would refuse to have a blanket for warmth on a cold night. And he would climb marble staircases on his knees out of penitence for the sin that he had done. He went through this religious practice, but he was missing God's grace. There are people, friends, who try to do religion by their own way. There are people I've known who try to do faith as if to earn God's favor, to earn their salvation. And Martin Luther will tell you, you just can't do that. He was devastated and he was sad and he was in a hard place. And then we find the story of Army Sergeant Brian Anderson, a veteran of the Iraqi war who back in 2015, 2005, excuse me, while driving a Humvee into a dangerous zone, drove over an IED, the truck blew up, he lost both legs and his left hand. As he found himself as a triple amputee in therapy, he looked himself in the mirror and said, I am half the person I used to be and I will be this way the rest of my life. He became unbearably depressed and he didn't care about rehab anymore. He gave up on life. He found himself in the desert, like many of our veterans do. These three stories I'll pick up on in a minute. But let us not forget that Jeremiah doesn't have a, a message of doom and gloom. He says in verse 7, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. And they will not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are like always green and there are no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This person is different because they trust in the Lord. They're like a tree with deep roots and there is no worry or anxiety 
because they're constantly being fed by the devotional life of prayer and scripture reading and time with God's people and in worship. Trusting in God brings a life of fruit that others can enjoy, while trusting in oneself can bring barrenness, an attitude of scarcity and survival, and will not prepare you for those times when you are out of control and life gets really, really difficult. So let's revisit our stories. Inigo, wounded in battle, thinking of better days to service of the king, was given a book, a book called The Life of Christ. He read that book. He was converted by that book. He placed his trust in Jesus Christ and found grace and peace and hope and joy and began to dream of serving a greater king than the king of Spain. And then he would enter the ministry, going to seminary, where he would begin to write spiritual exercises. Inigo would become known as St. Ignatius of Loyola, a profound writer of spiritual exercises who has blessed generation after generation of not just Catholics, Protestants, but all who know and love the Lord. The prayer of examine, imaginative scripture exercises, and others that we have done even here on Marvin's campus in our discipleship programming. He had become like a tree of blessing, and the devotional life that fed him began to feed others as well. He had the grace, the gift of the Christ-centered life. Martin Luther, you would know already, going from a driven abyss of despair which he felt that he had created by reading the Romans. He found great relief and he discovered that the just shall live by faith and not by works. In his words, I felt myself to be reborn, to have gone through open doors into paradise. He discovered that being saved and justified was not on his own merit, but it was God's grace that healed him, changed him, and transformed him. His desert wasteland became a river of living water, a large tree that was grown, known as the Protestant Reformation, of which we all are a part today. And then there's Army Sergeant Brian Anderson. We left Brian temporarily discouraged, depressed, at a very dark place in his life. But then his childhood faith was reawakened by a visit from his mother and by a friend. They took him on a trip, and they began to let him engage the world and the beauty that God had created. And even though he was a triple amputee, he is now a survivor, working, designing new wheelchairs, giving motivational talks to veterans. He's been in the movie American Sniper. He drives, he skateboards, he snowboards. He says in his own words, no part of my body, mind, or soul goes untouched. This man wrote a book called No Turning Back. You can visit his website on andersonactive.com. What he wants to do is to re-engage life in all that God has provided, bringing even half a body to a life of fullness. He is like a tree planted by streams of water because he's placed his trust in God. Well, friends, as I kind of conclude my sermon, I want to take you back to high school, junior high maybe, especially college, where your professor said, write a paper called Compare and Contrast. And as you have that scary thought in your mind about writing a paper, 
What would you write about a life that trusts in God and how it is different than a life that trusts solely in yourself? Would you speak differently? Would you believe differently? Would you talk differently? Would you order your life differently? I think it would be a great experience for all of us. How has it worked out for you when you tried to handle life's challenges and difficulties on your own as opposed to casting your concerns and anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you? Thank you, James, for that good scripture. And also from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Jeremiah gave a vision, but he said the heart was still very sick. But the good news is, friends, God gave him a vision of what was coming. There'll be a day in verse chapter 31, 31, where it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. There'll be a new covenant with the people of Israel, and it won't be like the old covenant that I made with the ancestors of old. This covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares Lord, because I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor. No longer will they say to another, know one another, because they will all know me for the least of them to the greatest, because I will forgive their sins, and I will remember them no more. He's talking about Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death for us. He's talking about a new covenant where God's law is now in our minds and written upon our hearts. We no longer have hearts of stone and rebellion. We have hearts that are embodied by the presence of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So friends, I am blessed to stand before you today to say I put my trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation. And whatever difficulty we may be going through as a family, God will be there through it. So I am seeking to grow in my faith, and most importantly, I seek to grow in my trust of God. And I want to invite you, as I'm writing my story, to write your story about trusting in God as well. Wherever you go through, seek a greater trust in God. And in so doing, we will be moving closer and closer to Christ-likeness. Hallelujah. Amen.